0: Indeed, O oh God, we are a people who long for a fresh vision, a fresh sight of your beauty. Might there be this beatific vision that, that is cast in our soul's eyes that we might be able to taste and see how good and how beautiful is the God who made us and the God who redeemed us in Christ Jesus. Father, as a result of being together this morning, might your people walk out with their their appetites aroused? Might there be a, a fresh supply of spiritual food that will address the soul's ache, the soul's need? And yet, oh God, might it not be enough? Might we continue to long for more and more? It is those of us who have realized how blind we are, who long to see more. We long to see because you have given us a new heart. You have exchanged a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And so all of our values, all of our desires, all of our interests, all of our perspectives, all of our schedules have been changed because we now have a new boss, a new king the lord jesus christ and so father enhance our appetites in these minutes we spend this morning lord there is a um, there is a mess that is erupted in our world it only exacerbates the the what we already knew that men hate other men and people despise other people and people don't want to be associated with other people and thus we kill, we fight, we devour, we destroy. And Lord, it is never the solution. It's never going to work to force people into some kind of Obedience. So, O oh God, we ask for the Spirit's work to change hearts, to um, to replace war with peace. And, Father, um, here we are, a group of Christians in our relative safety and ease, and we've got a message. We're sitting on a message that can bring hope. And I pray that you will... Um, raise us to our feet to be silent no more. Lord, I pray for the people in this room who are wrestling with things that they aren't able to share with everybody. There are marital difficulties and there are concerns that parents have over their children. There are health difficulties. There are financial plight. Lord, There is a, there are difficulties here. And I pray that somehow you'll give us a, a new way of viewing it all, that we might find that you have never slipped off your throne and that nothing has surprised you, nothing has taken you by surprise, including our pain. Now, Father, to the end of advancing the kingdom of Christ we give, we give for no other reason. We're not here so that we can make life more comfortable for us. We are here to be agents of transformation around the world. Use these monies for that and that only. We ask it, of course, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. And you follow in your copies of God's Word as I begin reading in verse 25. And we'll read through 36. Stay with me. We'll wait just a second. (laughs) The rest of us were very happy about that baptism. uh... Okay, Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I served you, that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep, and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good! Let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. If you were here last week, you might recall that that's the same text I used last week. And if you pay attention to things like this, which I'm sure most of you don't, the the title of last week's sermon is the same title this morning. Uh, Let me explain that. Um, What I have for you this morning was supposed to be the second second half of last week. I never got to it. So... That's why we've come back to this text. Actually, I didn't read verses 37 through the end of the chapter. Uh, because what we're going to do this morning is look at this same event through a different set of eyes. Last week, we looked at it through Jacob's eyes. That is... You know, he's figuring out what am I going to do about my future? How am I going to uh, provide for my family? And so let me manipulate, let me massage my uh, my circumstances. And you remember, he used those peeled sticks, which he thought was really going to uh, affect the embryo. Uh, But it wasn't his peeled sticks. It was God's sovereign good pleasure. And so what I was trying to show you last week is that Jacob is not in control and neither are we. And all of this talk about being, God is in charge. And that was what we talked about last week. But this morning, I want to come back to the same event, and I want to look at it, not through Jacob's eyes, but through Laban's. There's a real message here, guys, if you'll just adjust with me your focus a bit. And let's look at the same story through a different set of eyes, that being Laban's, who is Jacob's father-in-law. What you have in this story, guys, is an illustration of a commonly held approach to one's personal, individualized religion. Um, In essence, what you get is the gospel according to Laban, and a whole lot of other people as well. I want to spend our time together explaining just that. Now, the first thing that you need to remember, of course, is that Jacob is a type of Christ. He's a, he's a Christ figure. Um, and so knowing that, every time you read something about the life of Jacob, you need to be wondering, is there something else here that doesn't necessarily meet the eye? Is there more? And I'm suggesting that there is. And here's what I'm suggesting is here. You remember this part, and we'll, we'll go far. Gang, I'm suggesting that people relate to Jesus Christ like Laban relates to Jacob. People approach Jesus Christ the way that Laban approached Jacob. You with me? That's my proposition. That's what I want to show you in this story. And thus, show you the gospel according to Laban. Now... Watch this. Laban sees something in Jacob. Something that's good. Something that, um, that he, that he wants. Something that he likes. Something that he cannot deny. He says in verse 27, uh, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He he notices something about Jacob's presence in his life, and I like having this guy around. That is, Laban says, I like having Jacob around. I I, I don't want to lose the advantages that he brings to me. And now he's talking about moving away, and I don't want that. You know, um, I I don't want to lose this. Uh, I, I know that because of him, things are better for me. And oh, how we like people who make things better for us, don't we? So he goes to Jacob and says, all right, all right, name your wages. What do I need to do to keep you around? That's in verse 31. What do I need to keep you? What is it that I need to do to make sure that you stay here? I concede that I have a need for you. Um, and I don't want you leaving. I fully, I am fully willing to admit that life is better if Jacob's in it. So now, you tell me, what do I need to do so I can have you, Jacob, in my life? What, well, what thing, what thing is it that I need to give you? So you and I can keep this little arrangement that we've got, you know, that you mean that, that is, uh, you keep producing for my betterment. Um, what do I need to do to keep that thing going? So in verse 31, Jacob replies, Jacob tells him what is necessary. And, um, Laban thinks he understands what he just heard. And his response is, in verse 34, great. Is that all you want? Um, I, I, I can do that. That's, that's no problem. You know, that sounds like a very uh, workable uh, arrangement. I'm, I'm quite pleased with what you're requiring of me. You know, guys, there's um, there's a New Testament story that's much like this one. Um, It's the story of the rich young ruler. You remember that one? It's found a couple places. It's found in um, Matthew 10, I think. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, um, Jesus, um, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus says, Well, um, uh, you need to keep the law. And so this smart Alex says, uh, "Well, I mean, exactly what law are you talking about?" And he said, "Well, um, don't commit adultery, uh, don't steal, don't lie, don't uh, don't bear falsehood, and and um, don't defraud, and honor your mother and father." And he said, well, <laughs> "Is that much? Oh, well, well, no problem. I've already done that." And so the rich young ruler, much like Laban, or Laban, much like the rich young ruler, is very excited about the terms as he understands them. That is, as Laban understands the terms. The problem is, he doesn't understand them at all. Just like the rich young ruler. Laban thinks that these are terms that I can live with. Uh, these terms allow me to stay in control of my life without giving up a whole lot. Actually, i not giving up anything I really I value. And, and in verse 34, you can, almost, you can almost hear him and his sons snickering as they move the flock a three-day journey away from Jacob. Oh, I thought he would demand a whole lot more, didn't you all? Um, I mean, th- this is nothing that he's asked for. I mean, n- nothing I can't come up with. So he thinks. I like this arrangement, says, says Laban. I-, I give up only that little bit that I-, I don't even want. And in exchange, I get to keep the reins of my life firmly in my hands. All that stuff that i that I really want, I get to keep. <laughs> and I get Jacob. I mean, Jacob is still working for me. Um, and uh, he is doing nothing more than accomplishing my agenda. I like this, says Laban. You see, uh, gang, Laban wants to use Jacob to get what he really wants. Um, I, I get to keep what I really want without giving up much of anything. What a deal! What I really want is more sheep. <laughs> And this boy's going to produce more sheep for me. So, um, I'm not giving up anything and I get more of what I really want. Because what I really want is what Francis Schaeffer used to call personal peace and prosperity. That's what I really want. And this fella is going to produce it for me. <laughs> so, I sure want him to stay on board. I don't want to lose this guy because he produces for me what I really want. And what I really want is personal peace and security or prosperity. I want what Jacob produces for me. But I don't want Jacob. You notice in this whole conversation between Jacob and Laban that I read. There's not one mention of um my relationship with Jacob, there's nothing mentioned in here about love for Jacob. There's nothing in there about, oh, Jacob, if, if you move away, I'm going to miss you. None, none of that. No, it's only the business arrangement that Laban is interested in. As long as I get to keep what I really love, I mean, Jacob and we were he willing to I don't give a hoot. My real love, my real love is control. A control that prosperity brings to me. And if, as long as Jacob produces that, I want him in my life at a distance. But I still want him. As as long as I can keep him at his arm's length, and I can continue to pursue what I really want, you know, more sheep, personal peace and prosperity. As long as I can do that, yep, I want. As long as I can stay in charge, I want that Jacob boy around. Hey guys, does um, does that sound at all vaguely familiar? I want to suggest to you that there, the, the, the gospel that is being preached in many places today is a gospel that has a real Laban sound to it. People are um, are treated like they're some kind of consumer. A, con- a consumer who is being offered a, a deal that they simply... Cannot turn down. You know, uh, here it is. Uh, For a one-time admission of imperfection and weakness, you will receive in return permanent peace with God. And the result of that, ladies and gentlemen, is that millions of boomers all over this country have said the prayer, admitting to all of their shortcomings, and went on with their life with virtually nothing changed. One man described it this way. He said, they saw it as a deal in which they could exploit God and get what they wanted without giving up anything of consequence. Just like Laban. Give up what you define as unvaluable anyway and get what you really want. And now what consumer would pass on a deal like that? Gang, um, it seems to me that people um, in, in, um, in... a lot of numbers of them. They leave our, our, um, our entertainment-laden and consumer-driven worship services, and they say something like this. By the way, I'm quoting at this moment. They say something like this. They say, now I understand what the Christian faith is about. It's not about lament or repentance or humbling oneself before God to receive God's favor. No, no. It's got nothing to do with a lot of boring doctrines. It's not about the hard disciplined work of mortifying our old nature and learning to make God's purposes our own. It's not about the inevitable failures in this project and the terrible grace of Jesus Christ that comes so that we might begin again. Not at all. I had it all wrong. The Christian faith is mainly about celebration and fun and personal growth and five ways to boost my self-esteem. And one church even added, if I'm lying, I'm dying, ladies and gentlemen. But one church added that you even get an improved sex life. You go back to this story about Laban and Jacob, and you notice that eventually, Laban, who was trying to use Jacob, eventually he runs him off. And Laban loses everything. He loses his sisters, he loses the flock, and most importantly, he loses Jacob. And ladies and gentlemen, if, if Laban's gospel is the only one you've embraced You're going to lose everything too. Wilbur Reese said it like this. He said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of Him to make me love an enemy or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Gang, Laban can't have Jacob on his terms. And you can't have Jesus on yours. That's not the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. I want to try to tell you what the gospel is just as we close. But to do that, first of all, I want to tell you a story. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, a man that I've known. Well, I mean, he's in glory now, but I knew him several years ago. He was a postal carrier. He had a flat top. uh (laughs) that was as flat-toppy as any flat-top you've ever seen. Um, He was kind of a military kind of guy, but had a soft heart and a great mind. He had a wife that was absolutely exemplary. And she's in her 80s now and is a missionary in Ukraine. His name was Jim Steele. And the Steeles had three kids. Their eldest son was somewhat of a ne'er-do-well, a kind of a prodigal. That was, of course, until the brain tumor. The brain tumor that paralyzed him in much of his body still is paralyzed today. Their middle child was a, a girl, sweet girl, mother of four, had a set of twins, and something happened, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what happened. I, I'm telling you in my own uh, um, uneducated, sophomoric, um, unscientific analysis, I, I want to suggest to you that something happened to her hormones. I don't know what happened to her. But she, she developed this insatiable desire to die. And I got involved, uh, with her when she took, right after she took an ice pick and she stuck it in her chest and pushed, aiming at her heart. She missed it. And she survived that. And so then some weeks or months later, she, she stuck her head into a, a gas oven, turned on the gas and she didn't make it. I mean, it is, she didn't succeed. But she kept trying. And one afternoon, she walked out into a field and sat under a tree. She doused herself with kerosene and lit it. She made it. That attempt succeeded. Their third child... He's a PCA pastor, and I think he's in Baltimore right now. Good, good guy. But I tell you all that about Jim and his lovely wife, Leela. To tell you that it was Jim who said what I'm about to quote. It was that man who said, oh yes, the gospel of grace is free. It's only going to cost you everything that you've got. That was that man that said that. I ran across a quote this week that I absolutely love. um, But uh, the the guy's name, uh, from whom I'm taking, his first name is Abelard. So I don't think any of us know him. uh, But Abelard something or other said this. This is the root of grace. The root of grace, colon, the dismantling of my power. I love that. The dismantling of my power. Now, what does all that mean? What, what did Jim Steele mean when he said, the gospel of grace is free, it's only going to cost you everything you got. Is it going to cost me my daughter? No, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But I'm, the reason I told you that about Jim is because it was that man who had endured such pain who stood and said, the gospel of grace is free. It's only going to cost you everything you got. What does that mean? Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to cost you any claim to merit that you may otherwise possess. You're going to have to give up any silly notion that somehow you're good enough to stand in the presence of God. This notion that I have done something or I am something that will impress God. You're going to have to give that up. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you're in need of a Savior, not a moral example. Jesus called it being poor in spirit. And I want you to know, my friend, that God owes us nothing. And everything He gives is by His pure, unmerited favor. That's called grace. I don't need to work myself up into his presence because he came down and brought with him every provision that I would need for forgiveness. So the first thing it's going to cost you is any kind of silly notion that you possess merit. The second thing that it's going to cost you is you're going to have to yield control to a new boss. Um, I'm done. I mean, people who embrace this gospel, they're done with all this talk about my life. Go ahead with your own life, but leave me alone. We're done with that. Jesus, Jesus put it this way, guys. He said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I want to know where he wants me and I want to know what he wants me doing while I'm there. Gang. Jesus Christ is a king. And you don't come to a king negotiating. You don't negotiate with a king. You come and you lay down your arms. You lay down your sword. You lay down your life. You lay down your agenda. And you say to him, Jesus, in Gethsemane, you said, not my will, but yours. And you said that for me. And so to you I say, not my will, but yours, for you. We're done. I mean, people who embrace the gospel are people who are done. With all, with all of this desire and determination to be in control. You never were. You never will be. And we're glad about it. That's the second thing it's going to cost you. The third thing it's going to cost you is you're going to discover the beauty of living in humble reliance upon the God who made you. And then went on and found a way to forgive you. All this talk about, um, I'm my own man. You know, self-made, independent, large and in charge and all that business. No. No, that's over. Because I have discovered a beauty. Of a life that's lived in utter dependence and reliance upon a God who provides everything that I could possibly need. And all of this foolishness about how I pull strings and manipulate, take charge. It's godless, ladies and gentlemen. It's godless. I'm not into taking credit. You know, I am more amazed with my station in life than anybody I know. I know that the way I got here was because God gave me abilities and opportunities that, that, I, didn't, that I didn't create. And I know that the more confidence that I place in my own strength and on my own abilities, the more I do that, the less I place confidence in the one who made me and is in charge. My strutting around is the last thing this world needs. Because strutters have never served anybody. Now, is that the gospel that you've embraced? It'll cost you all your claim to merit. It'll cost you your foolish pursuit of control. And it will put you in the place where you love being humbly reliant and dependent. Is that what you want? Then, my friends, you can have it. It is free. It's only going to cost you everything you've got. Because Jesus Christ becomes the highest loyalty of your By the way, that last sentence came from Jim Steele, too. Jesus Christ, my highest loyalty in life. Anything short of that is a gospel that Laban wrote. Gang, there's nothing casual, there's nothing cheap. There's nothing three dollar y. There's nothing labanic. There's nothing superficial about Jesus Christ's claim on our lives. And I can also tell you this. There is no other life worth living than the one that he'll give you. You want that one? It's going to cost you everything you got. Father, I do pray that you will remind your people of the claims of Jesus Christ over the individual, personal soul, that we don't get $3 worth in a paper bag, and we don't come to him with our own terms. We come to die. And I pray, O God, that you will stir your people to a great love of that gospel. The only one that's contained in this black book. And yet, O God, you indeed do change us in such a marvelous way that we begin little by little to taste life as it was intended to be lived. Give us that one. Give us the one that is, that is true to our nature, true to our created nature. Give us the one that was meant for us all along. Give us that one, O oh God. And might Jesus Christ get all the glory. We pray, of course, in his name and for his sake.